Well, I want to begin this morning at um, the beginning. Genesis means the beginning. And, um, or at least specifically um, close to the beginning, as we look at this story of humanity and where things kind of started to go south. And so we begin then in Genesis 3, looking at these first seven verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so there we have it. We have deception. Someone listening to the wrong voice. And so uh, what began as a beautiful place, a beautiful garden, Adam and Eve at the end of of Genesis chapter 2 are created in God's image and they are caretakers of the garden. They are an extension of God's creation put over the creation to name the animals and to take care of creation. And yet they listen not to God but to some other voice. And so, as we conclude what I began last week about the gospel according to blank, we look at sin for just a little bit. And we look at what happens when we, as the human creatures created in God's image, listen to the wrong voice. Because then they took action, and those actions had consequences. And those consequences led to the first line of swimwear. Oh, come on. I was going to say something about, thank goodness they didn't reach for pine needles, because that would have had consequences, right? But no, seriously, I, I make light of it, I make a joke, but we know what was at stake here. This is known as the fall of man or the fall of humanity. And so right here, this this action that they took was a game changer. And I often think, well, what if somebody else had been in their place? What if it had not been them? What if it had been Scotty and Rhonda? Or Steve and Jill? Or, you know, Kendra and Billy... Would they have made the same mistake? 
I can throw Greg and Stacy in there. And somehow I think that no matter who it was in the garden, that we would have probably listened to the wrong voice. Because haven't we all at some point listened to the wrong voice? Yeah, Scripture tells us very clearly that he who says he has no sin is what, church? A liar, yeah. Nobody wants to be called a liar, right? And so Scripture makes it very clear that we've, we've all fallen short. We all know what it's like to be on the end of a bad decision. And someone who knew what it was like uh, to, uh, to be in a position to praise God and then come up short was a guy named Job. Job who had been blessed with so much and was counted worthy by God. That when Satan comes and presents himself to God, Satan playing that role as the prosecuting attorney, and God as the righteous judge says, well, have you considered my servant Job? Now there's a blameless guy. And then Satan says, oh, but only because you protect him. You remove that hedge of protection and let me have a crack at him. And then we'll see what Job is made of. We'll see some faultiness in his spiritual foundation. And of course, at first, there is no faultiness to it, right? If you know the story, that Job does not curse God. And so Satan goes back and presents himself to Yahweh and says, you know, hey... Let me do something to him. You still maintained a boundary that I was not allowed to cross. Let me, let's take the gloves off here, God. And let me do something to him. Let me make him hurt. And so if you've ever read the book of Job, it's not an easy read. Hey, those first couple chapters are great and that epilogue is great, but there's a whole lot of stuff in between. Reading about those three friends that come to see him and then there's a young whippersnapper that shows up toward the end of the story and he throws his two cents into the picture. And, and so in the end, Job curses the day that he's born. Job is wanting answers. All God wanted from Job is just to just say, hey, God is good, and I don't know why this has happened, but it's going to be okay. But Job falls way short of that. And so when we look at Job 42, beginning with verse 1, Job replying to God after God has been silent in the story, and then God finally says, Who is this that comes to me with these words without knowledge? And then explains that Job doesn't know what he's talking about. He explains to us. 
in a sense, church, that we don't know what we're talking about when we question God. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so Job finds this place where he says, all I can do is say I'm sorry. And when we fail, isn't that all we can do, church? When we fall short, all we can do is say, I am sorry. I have had to hand out more apologies in my life than I could ever begin to count. The number of times I have had to repent of my mistakes before God is something that I... That's a list I could not even come up with at this point. I'm sure some of you know that feeling. When we hold ourselves, at least try to hold ourselves to a high standard... I was reading an article this week in the New York Times. It's called Broken Promises. And she begins by saying, The conversation hearts and foil-covered boxes of Russell Stover are large and in charge at my local pharmacy. And to them I say, Welcome. Unlike the rude arrival of Halloween candy in August, the retail gusto for Valentine's Day in the first week of January invigorates me. It aligns my own desire for the winter months to hurry up already. Bring on the egg-dying kits and the Mother's Day cards. Let's set our sights on spring. Slow down, okay, it's the first week of the new year, she goes on to write. You know, let's be in the moment. And then she says, depending on which gloomy study you read, somewhere between everyone and everyone and their brother will have broken their New Year's resolutions by February 14th. And she says, how can we make this year different? By resolving to always be resolving. Now that may sound a little strange. Wait a second. What? Because after all, a resolution is something we set when we say we are resolute in something. We are determined. We are going to do this. We're going to accomplish this. And so, uh, whether it is uh, to be more present, whether it is to, uh, to give up something in our lives, to do more of something in our lives, we make that resolution. Now, I don't know about you, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, I gave up making resolutions a long time ago. And she goes on to write that we don't need a date on the calendar to decide to make a change in our life, even a significant change. I haven't had a Diet Coke since December 15th. How about that, right? 
I got off that stuff. I, I, I said several weeks ago to you all, I said, you know, I, I thought I'd had my last one and then it didn't last long. You know, it, it, it like the next day or something like that, you know. Uh, and so and so now, and with Barrett having moved back home, there's Diet Coke in the fridge again. But I have not laid a finger on my son's Diet Coke, says God is my witness. And so, I don't say that for any congratulations, but just for the sake of accountability, church. I told you that was a struggle of mine, that it was a bona fide addiction. Those times that late at night, when I walk the dog, and I'm like, man, a Diet Coke would be good right now. And then you open the fridge, and it's like, oh, you're kidding. We got no Diet Coke. And then I think, you know, oh, I think there's one over in the fridge at church. So I come over here. I come over here 11:30 at night and grab one out of the out of the fridge over the left over from the church picnic or something. And then I'd feel guilty, so I'd put a couple bucks in the pantry box out in the lobby. Yeah, but what do we do with the sin in our lives? We resolve to keep resolving, right? Yeah. And reading this article through the lens of a Christian, not an article written, I don't know what the the author's faith is, if they have any at all. But reading this through the lens of my Christian faith, you know, I, I get to the part where it says... The real reason I like to always be resolving is that it reminds me there's always a clean slate. And isn't that true with our relationship with God? That there's always a clean slate? When we come to Him the way Job came to God with that repentant heart, that there is a clean slate. Jesus' blood was enough for every sin ever committed. That Jesus' blood was enough for every sin that would ever be committed. Scripture tells us that love covers what church? A multitude of sins. And so our love to God and our desire to be faithful is welcomed by God every single time. The article, as I mentioned, is called Broken Promises. But praise God that we serve a Lord who doesn't know what it's like to break one single promise. I often have the best of intentions. And in my personal relationships, I fall short. Whether it's my lack of punctuality, whether it's my lack of following through on something, I follow short. And I appreciate those friends in my life that extend grace and mercy to me on an ongoing basis. Because when they do that, they remind me that we serve a God that extends grace and mercy on an ongoing basis. And so here we are.
wondering which voices we're supposed to listen to. And it's so easy in our world, on this side of glory, to be affected by the gospel according to the world. The gospel according to television. And what the folks in Hollywood would tell us is the way to live a life. And we can fall into the trap of the gospel according to Madison Avenue. What those folks that create all those creative ads, ads that are no longer 